This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. The pressure on Kiev has been easing recently, with Russian soldiers apparently withdrawing from the area around the capital. Ukrainian forces now claim to have retaken at least 29 northern towns and cities and found utter devastation awaiting them on their return. Sergei Nikiforov, a spokesman for President Zelensky, appeared on Sunday morning with Clive Myrie and described the carnage in detail. These images are uh, really, they are, they are heartbreaking. We, we found uh, mass graves uh, filled with, with civilians. Uh, we found uh, people with their hands and with their legs tied, tied up, if it's, uh, do I say it correctly, tied up and was, was, was shots, was bullet holes at the back of their heads. So they were clearly, they were clearly civilians and they were executed. We found, um, half burned bodies as if somebody tried to hide their crimes but they actually they didn't have enough time to do it properly so these bodies are corpses are only half burned and that's the it's only the first uh, you know the first assessment of the situation i mean these 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 images are really horrible and right now our troops uh, actually the, the whole Kiev region uh, uh, we say Kiev Oblast right Kiev region yeah. is uh, deoccupied is free from uh, Russian troops and uh, our militaries are now um, invest not investigating but uh, how to say cl- clearing it up in uh, searching for mines searching for maybe some snipers or whatever can could the uh, Russian troops leave behind okay. themselves okay do you believe so, then what you found could amount to war crimes? It looks, it looks exactly, I'm not, you know, I have to be very careful with my words, wording, but it looks exactly like war crimes. Sophie Ridge interviewed the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps. Vladimir Putin has issued an ultimatum to countries seeking to buy Russian oil and gas that they must pay in rubles or else risk being cut off entirely. So the EU has spent 18 billion euros on Russian oil and gas since the 24th of February, which was when the war began. The Russian ruble has, perhaps unsurprisingly given that, recovered nearly all of the losses incurred uh, since that invasion started. I mean, earlier this week, you posted a picture of yourself outside a confiscated yacht. I mean, a few confiscated yachts, frankly, are not going to make any difference, are they? While Europe is bankrolling Russia to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars every day. Well, I, th- I think it is. First of all, it's absolutely true. We may come on to discuss this. The um, the price of freedom and defending democracy in this case, and uh, doing the right thing, it doesn't come cost free. I suspect we're going to about to discuss the cost of living. So there's a flip side to doing all these things, and that is where more so for Europe, who are uh, particularly in countries like Germany, incredibly reliant on Russian fuel, have been finding it very difficult to cut off that that fuel. Now we've said that in the next nine months, I guess eight months now, uh, we will stop buying Russian fuel entirely. Uh, none of our petrols from Russia, about 18% of our diesel is, and there's some fuel that goes to other 
uh, purposes, but we have a relatively low reliance. The problem for Europe is there are very large amounts, as you've just described, being purchased in Russian fuel. Uh, they've said they'll try and cut that by a third within a year and all of it eventually, it is very, very important we carry on down this route because, as you rightly say, you can have all the sanctions in the world. And by the way, I think it is important to sanction the oligarchs who've been very close to Putin, which is why I've been taking uh, not just the, the, the super yacht that you mentioned, but several aircraft, including another aircraft the, this morning, um, and freezing them. But it is also very, very important that we're not paying back cash into their system because that money will go to fund a war effort in Ukraine. And you describe the devastation uh, and the human suffering uh, in your opening. So it's very, very important that we close that loop. Britain is urging countries to go further and faster on this. And again, I, I hear this directly from my Ukrainian uh, counterpart to the British people. He says, where the Brits go, uh, they pioneer and the rest of the world is, is following with regard to providing help and support to Ukraine. With fuel bills soaring, Myrie spoke to the Shadow Business Secretary, Jonathan Reynolds, asking him if Labour would be looking at proposals to implement rationing in the UK. The Germans, the Austrians, the Dutch, they're talking about plans to potentially ration oil and gas. Should we be prepared to do the same? We should be making those plans and the government should be preparing, not necessarily in public, for that situation. There's a lot of complacency in this country about the, the relative lower exposure to Russian gas that we have. But we should bear in mind, you know, part of the supply that comes to this country from, for instance, Norway or, or from uh, the liquefied natural gas that, that comes into the, the terminals in Wales, that is partly because Russian gas is, is fulfilling the demand so in you, central Europe. So you can see rationing of energy supplies well, in this country? I think what the country. government should announce is a plan which is not simply shopping from one authoritarian regime to the next for fossil fuels, but that long-term plan on renewables, on nuclear, on energy efficiency that would make the difference. But let's be clear, looking at the images coming out of Ukraine right now, okay. I don't think we should be talking about going back to business as usual where we just buy large quantities of fossil fuels. Okay. So, I think we've got to be aware right. of what has gone on here and this is an incredibly serious event. Okay, so we, should be think, so we should be thinking about rationing energy in the United Kingdom. Um, what about practical steps? The Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, he's talked about uh, introducing car-free Sundays this month. Would Labour support something like that? An initiative? Well, I, I worry, I don't want to dismiss other countries' plans, but I would worry that fundamentally those might not meet the, the scale of the challenge. We could have, for instance, had a, a statement from the Chancellor talking about how we will accelerate energy efficiency, how we will be uh, providing a, a real market so that people, more people can use non-fossil fuel-based heating. I mean, the, the, the market there just isn't there. You've got to look as a government. Is the level of public investment sufficient to draw in that private investment to make the market? Is, is the regulatory regime sufficient? And on many, many aspects of that net zero transition, it just isn't there from the government. So initiatives and emergency plans of course, they've got to be part of it. But the main thing is, has the government got fundamentally an energy plan for the here and now to address these problems? That's what I want to see from the government. Myrie then put the same suggestion to Grant Shapps. Do you think it's a good idea? No, I don't. Um, I think the um, some in, in, in Europe, the Germans in particular, are very exposed to, to Russian uh, energy. Uh, they may get 40 or 50 percent of their... Can you absolutely uh, rule it out happening in the UK? I mean, as you say, oh, yeah. we, yes, we're, we're not as yes. uh, uh, open to shocks directly from Russia as a result of the fact that we don't get as much oil and gas from them as other countries. But those countries pulling out of Russia, they're going to be looking at other sources that we're competing for as well. So it's going to get harder. We've acknowledged that. So can you completely rule out rationing? 
Yes, I can. Um, it's not the route that we want to go down. I'll give you one very good example. We, we have more wind farms in this country than any other country in the world. The, the, you know, the Saudi Arabia of, of wind, as I've heard the Prime Minister describe it. And actually, this is an immense, invisible uh, national resource uh, that we can exploit uh, much more. I've been out to see these wind farms uh, in, the, in on the sea, and uh, they are, you know, incredible, sizable. The, the wind is generally much better out to sea than on shore, uh, and uh, we have plenty of coastline. So that's a very good prospect. We're able in this country, I think, to go further with things like nuclear power, some mm. modular nuclear reactors, I think, could be extremely helpful. Uh, but to answer your question, absolutely up front, no, we don't see rationing being part of our approach mm. to this, nor should it be. All right. uh, but we do have to make sure we invest in, in energy, and that's yeah, what yeah, the yeah. Uh, strategy will do later this week. Sure. Myri asked Ukraine's energy minister, Herman Halushenko, about who was in control now of Ukraine's best-known nuclear sites, the Chernobyl and Zaporizhia power plants. There are several uh, things uh, concerning Zaporizhia. First of all is how they captured it. So and um, they really sh uh, sh shell uh, it by tanks, by other heavy vehicles. And it was really very, very dangerous from the point of view of nuclear safety. There is fighting going on near the plant. How worried are you about the possibility of a nuclear accident? Uh, we, we got the information that they already wounded some people there. And so, uh, to, to be frank, they behave like, like, uh, uh, like mad guys. Can you confirm Russian troops have now left the site at Chernobyl? That's true. That's true. It, 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 today we already raised Ukrainian flag there. And uh, so this information is confirmed. They did it yesterday. The Conservative MP Alicia Kearns spoke to Ridge about another tragic story. The findings from the Ockenden report into the Shrewsbury and Telford's maternity services have been damning, with the Trust potentially responsible for around 200 avoidable baby deaths, nine avoidable deaths of mothers and countless more injuries suffered over 19 years. I have to say that as an MP over the last two and a half years, I have sadly had to conclude that NHS bureaucracies are inherently and systematically sexist. Uh, there is a constant expectation that women's services and care can be done on the cheap, or that because women have given birth for generations and generations, they don't deserve the support they need. Um, my mother saw me speak out in Parliament, and actually she said to me that she remembered when she was giving birth to my brother, and she asked for a C-section. No, I lied, she asked for an epidural. Um, because she'd been in labour for so many days and so many uh, and so much pain, and she remembers being screamed at by the consultant and told, "You think you're special? You're not special. Women do this every day." Again, I shared my own experience of having a C-section. I ended up being taken to the operating theatre twice um, because they weren't willing to give me the C-section that I needed when I'd been in labour for 36 hours and my son had already almost died once because of this obsession with stats and low C-section rates, and also this idea that there is a normal birth. There is no such thing as the births that we see in movies. Some women have amazing birth stories, but these should not be expected of all women. So I think we have a way to go, but I think anyone who's watching this is about to go into labour, know that our hospitals are safe, but you need to know that you have every right to challenge the system and to say at any point, wait, no, why, what are the alternatives and why are you doing this? It is your body and you have a right to challenge and demand better and demand what you need to keep you safe. And finally, on LBC, presenter Tom Swarbrick watched on as climate activist Nathan McGovern got stuck into the debate, perhaps a little too literally. 
You have a massive platform, right? Oh, here we go. You have a massive platform, a microphone yeah. that you can use to tell people about the situation we're in, and you are not using it, right? So for those of you who are not using it, for those that are listening on the someone radio, someone like me, an ordinary person who yeah. is fighting for their future, is having to take the microphone in a situation like this and having to tell your viewers the situation we are in because people like you do not. So for those people, people like who, you, are giving no as idea. much as a death sentence no to the, your viewers as our government you've is, got, as the fossil fuel companies are. So, and that goes for all this week. By the way, for those, for those of you listening and wondering what the banging on the microphone was, Mr McGovern has apparently... I think, it's, is it glue? You seem to have glued Absolutely. yourself to the microphone, so that's fantastic. If you're um, not going to use the microphone for the people of this country, the people all around the world, to let them know what's happening been invited, to their lives right now... You, you've been invited on Someone this else program. will. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffeehouse Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.